Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. Well, it's always been my desire to preach about Jesus. Because often you hear people talk about God. They say, God said this, God's doing this in my life, God's doing that in my life. But they never say Jesus. And there's something very personal about Jesus. And I was talking to a man a few weeks ago, and he encouraged me, and he said, we need to talk about the things we want revelation on, and the things that we want to cultivate in our own lives. So I'm going to talk about Jesus today. And continuing our series on Supernatural Church, I'd like to talk about the first miracle, or the first sign that Jesus gave. And we'll find that in John chapter 2, verse 2. And this morning, all I'm going to do is read and just expand on 11 verses of Scripture, which should take about three hours. So I'm okay, the meal's on the timer at home, so it's not going to be a problem. So if we could all turn to John chapter 2, verse 2. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus' disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus answered. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification, and each contained 20 to 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. And when the chief servant tasted the wine, after it had become wine, because he didn't know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom, and he told him, everyone sets out the finest wine first, then, after the people have drunk freely, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus performed his first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So going back to verse 2, on the third day, you know, Jesus doesn't spoil a good time. He was at the wedding. And I've been trying to discover what the text or the reference means about the third day. Why do we need to know the day? And what is the day counting from, or what is the purpose? The wedding, the wedding, John says, came on the third day. Third day? Third day of ministry? Third day since the last chapter? But it was the third day. 
I don't know what that means. It was the third day since Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, interestingly, when I, Abraham took Isaac up the mountain, it was the third day when he took him to sacrifice him. And when Moses went up to Sinai, he said, in the third day, God will come down from the mountain. But the, this first miracle that Jesus performed at a wedding is so prophetic. Because Jesus was at a wedding on the third day, there was three days to the resurrection, and it was a feast. And the ministry of Jesus started at a wedding. And it finishes at a wedding in the book of Revelation. Jesus was there with his disciples, and although he had not performed any signs, they followed him. And that's really interesting, and I'll come on to that later. But Jesus, in Matthew, called Simon and Peter, and he said to them, follow me, drop your nets, and follow me. And we need to understand the significance of that, because these were men who were probably married, they probably had a family, they needed that income, and Jesus said, follow me. I'm in sales at work, and we have this, if you hand your car keys in, that means you've left. And that's like Jesus coming to me and saying, follow me. And I take out my car keys and I throw them at my boss and say, I'm following Jesus. And that, that is massive, that the disciples followed him. But we'll come on to that later. What was it about this man that would make them drop everything to follow him? So they ran out of wine. I don't know what that's like. But they ran out of wine. <laughs> And this is a major social faux pas in, in the Jewish community. It would have been a major social disgrace um, because it would have haunted the married couple for the rest of their lives. Wine, as I've said before, is the rabbinical symbol of joy. And it would have almost been like, because they've run out of joy, there would have been no joy in the marriage. And it was the bridegroom's responsibility to make sure this never happened. And Mary said they've run out of wine. Now, this wasn't a criticism or a cynical response. Because Mary wasn't saying cynically, oh, they've run out of wine. She was actually stating a fact. And Jesus responds, let me just go back a bit. Why did Mary ask Jesus to do something? I believe that she asked because she was anticipating the day of Jesus' demonstration. In a sense, it was a day of vindication for her because she knew who Jesus was. In the Gospel of John, all the miracles are referred to as signs. Uh, the Gospel writer uses the word signs and not miracles. And signs point the way. They give us direction. <clears throat> but this was the first sign. Jesus doesn't perform miracles as a brash display of power to impress people, to dazzle the masses. He performs them because he wants to impart something important about the gospel. Notice in um, John, in the last verse, it says, this, the first of his signs, was displayed to manifest his glory. So turning water into wine isn't simply a sign. It was the first sign. And in the Greek, 
The word first has a nuance that it means of importance. It means, it doesn't simply mean the first one to occur. It means that it carries a primary meaning or a first in importance. This was the first sign. Now, if I was Jesus, and I'm not, but if I was Jesus, I would have performed a much more exciting miracle than conjuring wine at a wedding. I would have probably healed somebody and said, this is a sign that God has come to set us free from the power of sin and death. Or I would have calmed a storm as a sign to say that I'm going to bring order in the world out of all this chaos. I would have probably uh, restored sight to the blind to say that God is going to give us a vision of his kingdom and that we'll see him in his glory. Even better... I would have raised somebody from the dead to show that God has conquered over the power of sin and death. But he performs wine. He turns water into wine. So let's go back to the prophetic symbol of the wedding. The wedding signifies the reason the word became flesh. To rescue us and give us eternal life and right standing with God. In 1 John 3.8, it says, The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the evil one. And Julian and I will know a song that we'd sung many years ago, and it was, For, the purpose, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the works of the evil one. No principalities or power shall stand before my Lord. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And there was like a, what's that way the ladies sing as well? And it's like a, we won't do it. It's all right, we won't do it. But that's why Jesus came. That is the primary reason why Jesus came, to set us free from sin and death. And he shed his blood and he set us free. Now there's some homework this week. I would like everybody this week to read the book of Hebrews. Okay? And the reason for that is I want to encourage you Because so many people ask me about the blood and the wine, the new covenant and the old covenant, the Lord's table and sacrifices. And the writer of Hebrews explains it so marvellously. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Because I think that if we can grasp why Jesus came... And what he's done in our lives, it's so interesting what Tilly shared this morning. If we can, if we can grasp that, then, excuse the way I'm going to put this, but we're 90% there. You know, we're going we're to achieve something marvellous in God. So reading, from, I'm going I'm to skip and pick a few verses out here, so bear with me. But from Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, these sacrifices actually remained with them, 
But instead, these sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, I do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. And if we drop down to verse 9. He, Jesus, cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the blood of Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again. There's a bit of a pattern here. Which can never take away sin. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. And then he sat down at the place of honour at God's right hand, where he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forgave, he forgave, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies this is so, for he says, this is my new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and I will write them on my minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And then their sins have been forgiven and there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Wow. That is the old and new covenant explained in the scripture. That is it in a nutshell. And that's why the first sign is turning water into wine. It's the sign of the old covenant passing away and the new covenant coming. So Mary then said, well, what, has this, what concern has this got to do with me, woman? Jesus answered, my hour has not yet come. Now, Jesus wasn't being disrespectful when he said woman, okay? I know if I say to my wife, what do you want, woman? I know that I would probably get a click around the ear and quite rightly so. But in biblical times, and just to clarify that, the term woman is the same term that he uses when Jesus is on the cross. It's the same word. When he's on the cross and he says to his disciple who he loved, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. So it's the same word. And it's a respectful word. It's the same word that we would use if we were, say, addressing somebody with honour. So if you meet, a few weeks ago at work, the Lord Lieutenant of Bedfordshire came to our premises. And a, a man came before and told us what the protocol was, how we had to address her. And we were only allowed to shake her hand. We couldn't put her arm around her. And, uh, we, and we had to, she said, you he said, you have to address her as ma'am, as in ham. Now, that was easy for me, because if you're from Leicester, you call your ma'am ma'am, don't you? <laughs> I'll never call my ma'am ma'am. But it was a sign of respect. It was a sign of honour. And Jesus wasn't being rude to her when he said that. He was being honouring to her. And he said, throughout the gospel, John talks about the hour. And when 
the word hour is mentioned, what it means is it's talking about death. And what Jesus was saying was, what does this wedding-related problem have to do with me? It's not my time to die. But when you go to a wedding, and I've been to a few, you think about your own wedding, don't you? Whenever you go to a wedding, you think about your own wedding. And if you're married, you think about the wedding you had. And if you're not married, you think about the wedding that you're hoping to have. And Jesus was at a wedding, and he was probably thinking about his wedding. And some people say, well, Jesus is not going to have a wedding. But he is, and we've talked about this before with our End Time series, that there is going to be a wedding between Jesus and the church. So Jesus was thinking about all that, about his sacrifice and how he was going to set the people free. And we can understand why Jesus was in that frame of mind. What's this got to do with me? My hour hasn't come. But Jesus is the all-sufficient bridegroom. He is the one who's going to provide the sacrifice. And when you go to a wedding, the bride always looks fantastic, doesn't she? She makes herself up, she makes herself look good. She comes to the wedding, she looks great. But as, as unbelievers, we find that difficult to imagine ourselves being joined to Jesus because the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Chris last week talked about the toxic, toxicity of sin. And when he used that word, the word I can't say, but when he used that word, some of you looked a little bit like, you know, sin is toxic. But, you know, without going into the basics, sin separates us from God. But God sent his son, and he set us free from the power of sin and death. He made us acceptable and beautiful to him, and that's allowed us to come into his presence. So, after first brushing off Mary's request, and when it seemed like he wouldn't give her what he asked for, he ends up giving her... What he asked, what she asked for, although not in a way she probably expected. You see, why does he do that? Because Mary's faith changes, Mary changes, her faith in Jesus deepens. At first, she asks him to do a thing for him as his mother, but then she, she says, Do whatever he says. And it's almost like she changes. She changes from asking to believing, and she leaves it with Christ. She's gone from asking to trusting. She's gone from asking to trusting. And I love that verse where she says, do whatever he tells you. That is such a key verse. Such a key verse. I mean, that's a message within itself. Do whatever he tells you. She was confident in her God. She knew that God was able Because Mary knew what it was to do whatever God told her to do. In the account in Luke chapter 1, it talks about when the angel appeared, angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her that she was blessed above all women. Now, if I was a Jewish girl and told that I was going to be pregnant and uh, I wasn't married to a man, that wouldn't be a blessing. She would not feel blessed above all women. And it says at the start there that she was confused and disturbed. That's an understatement. But at the end, 
She then says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And she'd gone from confused and disturbed to whatever the Lord wants, let him do. And no wonder Jesus referred to her as woman out of respect. How can we question the God of all the world, of all the earth, of all the universe, when he asks us to do something? What is God asking you to do right now? This morning I was praying, and God said to me, there's a couple here in the church, and God has asked you to do something. And you've not shared it with anybody. You know it's the word of God, but you've decided that if we don't tell anybody, then we won't have to do it. And God says you need to do it. There's a single person here today, and God has asked you to do something, and everybody that you've spoken to, all the counsellors that you've said, said, no, no, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. Some of these people are not in the church, they're not believers. And God says you need to do it. Do whatever he tells you to do. Six stone water jars, 20 to 30 gallons. That would make 300 to 450 bottles of wine. That is quite a party. And Jesus said to them, fill fill them with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said, take some out and give it to the chief servant. And what God's saying to us in this is, God wants you involved in miracles. Okay? God wants us involved in miracles. You see, the servants under the direction of Jesus were in a unique place of blessing. You see, Jesus wanted the cooperation of men in the miracle. He could have just filled the pots like that and created the wine. He could have easily done that. But he wanted the servants to share in the miracle. And God wants us involved in miracle. You see, it's it's the Spirit of God that performs the miracle. But it's not by our own might or power, but it's by the Spirit of God. And when we're obedient to his calling, when we do whatever he asks us to do, then miracles will come. The servants did not do the miracle. Their efforts alone were completely insufficient. But they were obedient to Jesus. What I really like is the servants were blessed because they obeyed Jesus and it said they filled the pots to the brim. But Jesus only said, fill the pots. So this means that the miracle would be fulfilled in its greatest measure. And if they were lazy and they'd only filled the pots half full, there'd have only been 100 bottles of wine. We need to see that miracles are more than just laying on of hands. Laying on of hands brings miracles. Yes, it does. But sometimes when we do what God tells us to do, a miracle can happen because we're doing what he said. So we need to be aware of that. And that could just be a conversation with somebody, a kind act to somebody, something that doesn't seem particularly spiritual. There is nothing spiritual in saying, fill them pots with water. It's not, let's pray for you at the front and lay hands on you, you know, and shouting in tongues. That's not what it was. But it was a miracle, and it affected people. 
So we need to be open to that, to know that God will do miracles in some of the very mundane things of life. I love that term when it says it filled them to the brim. (laughs) God is a God of to the brim. Do you know, sometimes you... If you, especially barbecue weather, you get a cup and you, if you've got children, you fill it up and they fill the cup right to the top, don't they? You let them fill it up and they get as much as they can. You know, they get a bigger than a mummy measure and they're walking <laughs> like this and you're going, don't spill it, don't spill it. <laughs> when you fill something to the brim, it's very difficult to move it without spilling. And God wants us to be filled to the brim so that when we move in his power of his spirit, we spill out. Because God wants us to be those who spill. The kingdom of God is all about fullness and abundance and no short measures. It's about blessing and provision. So they drew this out and they gave it to the chief steward, knowing it was water. (laughs) I mean, I don't know when it actually became wine. But it's like the miracle of the bread and the fish. I don't think it became I don't think it actually multiplied until people put their hands in. I don't know. But the chief steward tasted it and it became wine. In in verse 9 it says, Then the chief steward tasted the water after it had become wine and he didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told, and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first, then, after people have drunk freely, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. So they drew it out and they took it to the chief. So imagine how the master would have felt if he'd drunk the wine and it was water. You know, there's nothing worse than water when you could have wine. <laughs> the chief steward didn't know where it had come from. And yet the servants did. They knew the source. Knowing the source, knowing the source, knowing Jesus as the source, sets us free from anxiety, from fear, from worry about the future. Don't struggle, folks. Know the source. You know, we can worry about our future, we can worry about our families, we can worry about our health, we can worry about our finances. But when you know the source, there's no struggle. I'm facing a situation at the moment and I don't know what the future holds. And there are times when I feel like a wave, it just comes up in front of me. I mean, this is real, folks. You know, because we're leaders, we don't face... We don't walk on clouds or move around on casters, do we, Phil? We face things, really, honestly, we face things every day. And I'm in a situation at the moment where I don't know what the future holds. But when I feel that wave coming up against me, I look to him because he is the source. And the word says that he will ne- I've never seen his children begging for bread, that God can supply all my needs in Christ Jesus. And when I take that upon myself, suddenly I think, I know the source. I've got a father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows where all the gold is, where all the silver is. Nothing can touch me. Now, there are some days I say that, and there are some days I think, ooh, 
But then I just go back to the word and I speak the word to myself. So get to know the source because the source will set you free. The, cust- the, the custom of leaving the, the saving the best wine till last, nobody knows where that came from. That's only in the text. I thought I'd just throw that in. But nobody knows that's not a Jewish tradition or anything like that. But the most important word in that verse, and again, not realising that he should be speaking to Jesus, the chief steward says is the last word, and it's now. Now. Now Jesus is here. The old has passed away. The new is coming. Now Jesus is here. We can move into all what Jesus has given, is going to do for us. Now that Jesus is here... We can live under a better covenant with better promises. Now that Jesus is here, we know who the source is. And now that Jesus is here, it's time to spill a little. Now let me just say, that's not when I'm older. That's not when I'm married. That's not when I've secured a better job or promotion. Not when I'm in a different life group. Not when I'm baptised in the Holy Spirit. And if you've not, you need to be. Not when I'm baptised in water, but if you've not, you need to be. Not when I'm giving my life to Christ, and if you haven't, you really need to. You can move into those things now. Because the time is now, and God wants to move us into a better covenant. He wants us to embrace all that he's done on the cross for us. The last verse says this, it says, Jesus performed this first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So what's the difference between believing and following? You see, they gave up their whole lives, they walked away from their jobs, they probably left family and friends behind, and they followed him. But until he performed the first miracle, then they believed in him. And I think there is a difference between following and believing. Now, I'm not being semantic with words, because sometimes people say, I'm a follower of Jesus, that's fine, I'm not against you or anything like that. But sometimes, when we follow something, we can see it as a calling, or a way of life, or a pattern of behaviour, or a form of instruction, or a persuasion, or an interest, or a social club event. And we know from that list that God doesn't want us to be in, doesn't want us to see church in that way at all. But when we believe in something, we have total trust. We have total confidence. We have a spiritual conviction. We have a reliance, a dependence, and a faith. So my challenge to you this morning is: are we following Jesus? Or are we believing in Jesus? Oh, it's okay for them. It's okay for the leaders. It's okay for my wife. It's okay for my husband to, to believe. I'm just going to follow. I'm just, I'm just here for the ride. But God doesn't want you here for the ride. He wants you to embrace everything that he has achieved on the cross. He doesn't want us just to be on the bus. Church isn't like a bus, you know, where everything comes to the front and they collect your money halfway through. Some of the young people won't remember that, but that's what a bus trip used to be like. Church isn't a bus, and then you get there and you're there. God wants us to embrace everything in his new covenant. 
So it's time to move for some of you. It's time to move and not follow, but be a believer. It's time to, for some of you to see the first sign that God has delivered you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. It's time for some of us here to do whatever he tells us to do. It's time for some of us to be so full to the brim that when we move, we spill out. It's time for some of us to believe in him, to have faith. Because the word says that signs and wonders will follow those that believe. They will follow. They won't be at the front and we go to them. That's for the unbelievers. But they will follow us, the believers. And then people will be drawn in this town. (coughs) Father, I thank you that you have brought us into a new covenant. That you have set a sign in front of us. That you have set us free from the power of sin and death. You've released us from the things that can hold us back. And Lord, I just pray that this week that we would learn to be those that look to you. That we see you as the source. The source of everything. Not just finances, but the source of peace. The source of deliverance. The source of comfort. And Lord, I pray that we would be those that are full to the brim. That we would spill out the very life of God to those around us. That you would show us that we are to be actively involved in miracle. That miracles can be just the little things that we do because you have told us to do them. Lord, I just pray that we would be obedient to your word that we would know your promptings and that we, our desire would be to see more and more of your kingdom in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.